culture around us seems to be going in one direction, and Christianity and the things that Jesus teaches seems to be going in another direction. And I find it's in these moments that that's when my faith is challenged, make all of our faith rise up and really think, okay, as a culture, we've actually moved away from a spirit of generosity for a number of reasons. And I think this isn't necessarily people. This is, this is things that go on. So firstly, we've lost a lot of trust. I think we can all agree on that. We've seen mega churches buy money wastefully. We've seen private jets. I'm still using on mine, but who knows, okay? But it's no surprise that we've lost trust. And that's on the one side. And on the other side, there is some, sometimes on us. We have a culture that's begun to believe that the highest aim in life is personal freedom and personal enjoyment. And anything then that challenges that, therefore giving money in a way that might endanger that, can often seem alien. It can seem uncomfortable and even sometimes irresponsible. So looking after ourselves and looking after our own uh, lifestyles seems like a really important thing that we invest in. Um, so there's these challenges that we face. But what I want to do today is look at um, the biblical teaching around generosity. And the main thing I want us to get is that God wants our generosity more than he wants our money. So we're going to look at Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth in Greece. And in this letter, Paul's focus is motivation. He draws a divide between two ways of giving. The first is giving generously, and the second is giving sparingly, reluctantly, or under compulsion. So it's not a discussion about whether or not people should give. He's talking about our approach, our motivation. Ultimately, he's saying that God wants our generosity. He wants to change us more than he wants our money. So just to get a bit of context, Paul was traveling around, preaching the gospel of Jesus, setting up churches, teaching people. And as he was doing this, he was also taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had been suffering persecution and poverty, and, and all the poverty that resulted from that. And Paul wanted the wider church to help in alleviating their suffering and their poverty. And so you would expect that his primary concern and his primary motivation would be for that suffering church. But as we read, we very clearly see there's a dual agenda. There is, of course, a care for the people who are suffering, the people who are receiving the persecution. But at the same time, his encouragement towards generosity comes out of a deep care for the givers, the church in Corinth, the one he's writing to. And the amazing thing that as we talk today about generosity, as, and as we think about becoming into the world, but also in us, changing us to be more like him. So I've got three points. I don't know if, if my slides there, you've got them. But don't worry if not, it's fine. We've got three things I want us to think about. How do we become more generous? How do we come? They should be on the AV file if they've come through, but don't worry if not. Um, so we've got that first verse. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So he opens his teaching with this agricultural farming reference. Anyone who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Anyone who sows bountifully or abundantly will reap bountifully and abundantly. Now, I've heard people teach on this, saying that if you give generously to God, God will give back even more. Now, there may be some truth in that. I'm not saying it's wrong, but what I'm saying, I don't think that's what Paul is teaching in this line. Paul's not saying anything particularly spiritual in this moment. He's reminding the Corinthians that they will only see fruit in the things that they invest in. If you plant a load of seeds, you will see a lot of fruit. If you only plant a few seeds, you'll only see a little bit of fruit. So the question is, what is the fruit that we would like to see in the world? For me, I believe that spiritual brokenness in our society is one of the biggest problems we face. I, for me, I think it's the biggest thing that's going on. I think people need a real eternal hope. I think people need God. 
I think individuals and society as a whole don't work well without God. So with the principle of planting where I want to see fruit, when I think about what I want to give to, I think about giving my money to this church and the people around it and the things that we do. Because I believe that is where we're going to see the problem fixed. Now, there are also many places we could give. There are many places we all want to see fruit. The level of poverty experienced by people globally is on a scale that like, we can't even get our head around. So for me, again, I'd love to see some fruit in that area. I'd love to see things change in that area. So I would think about investing my money in that because that's where I want to see the fruit. The question I want to put to people today and actually think about is what is the fruit you would like to see in the world? I'm actually going to be awkward here. I'm going to get you to turn to the person next to you, okay? And I want you to think about and talk to them about, ask that question, what would you like to see changed? What is the thing that would bring you such joy if you saw it happen? Is it a cure for an illness? That's That's about right. Yeah, you keep that up. That's great. Uh, Is it a cure for an illness? Is it education for kids who desperately need it? Is it spiritual revival? What is something that you think, man, I would just love to see that change in the world? Okay, I'm going to give you one minute, maybe two minutes to turn to the person next to you and think, what is the thing I would just love to see changed in this world? Go for it. Yeah, nothing too major. Cool, I'm going to draw you back in. I'm not going to make you feedback. I'm not going to say, okay, now tell the rest of the class what you discussed. Um, we'll avoid that. But it's just such a good thing to think about these things because a lot of this, this passage is about giving cheerfully. And we give cheerfully when we love what we're giving to. Like when the gas bill comes in, I pay it sparingly. I pay it reluctantly. I pay it under compulsion. Uh, But the other day, I managed to secure a grant. This is a few months ago now. I got us a grant to buy an Xbox for the church. I'll be honest, that was the happiest (laughs) few hundred quid I've ever spent. There was no sense of reluctance there. This was like, yes, how fun is this? Uh, We got it for the youth ministry. It was such a fun thing to do. Um, Now, now that doesn't sound surprising. We love what we we cheerful when we buy the things that we love. Um, But it's just helpful to think before we get into any idea of things like tithing or spirituality, like actually just thinking about what we think is worth giving to is really important. Like Again, I love giving to this church because I love the things we do. I love that we offer a free youth group which with free pizza and sweets and act, fun activities and opportunities for young people to encounter God. You know, that gets me excited. There's no sense of reluctance and compulsion when it comes to that because the potential to positively impact schools and families in our local area is, is exciting. So I'm so happy to give to that. You know, my giving goes out of my bank account each month at the same time as all my other bills. And honestly, you know, when you look at insurance payments and you look at gas and electric, my contact lens subscription, and there's a sense of, ah, great, yeah, cool, goodbye, goodbye money, see you. But when my giving goes out of my ba- the bank each month, I know it's going to something that I love, and that's exciting. So I honestly, it actually makes me happy when that goes out. Um, because as I sow bountifully into God's work here, I know that I'm going to eventually reap bountifully, that God's going to do something with that 
and he's going to make something amazing happen. So thinking about these things is so important when it comes to giving, because we sometimes think of a giving as a choice between getting the nice thing I want and doing the good thing or making the sacrifice to do the good thing. I think what we find is when we allow the Spirit to work in our lives, those two things very quickly come together. That the good thing, it becomes the same thing as the thing that we want. God transforms us to be more generous because God wants our generosity. He wants us to be generous more than he's worried about us, the money that we give. So firstly, that's the thing we got up there. The first thing, we become more generous when we let the Spirit get us more excited about God's kingdom than our own kingdom. Okay, that's the first thing I want us to grasp when we look at those verses and we think about sowing sparingly or sowing or reaping or sowing generously. It's about letting the Spirit get us more excited about God's kingdom than our own kingdom. And the second thing I want us to think about is we become more generous when we realize we're built for generosity. Okay, so that second verse, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned before how rubbish I am at DIY, uh, and anyone who's seen me around the church is very aware of this. Pretty much the only tool I have is a massive hammer drill. Okay? I think my dad got this for me in some vain attempt to turn me into like a useful, productive member of society. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, the thing is perfectly designed for like, you know, putting like a, you know, a decent hole in a wall like some, through some masonry or a big bit of woodwork or something. What I found was that it was a little bit overkill for putting like a tiny screw in, for putting a picture up. That was a mistake. In a matter of minutes, I'd managed to like put a hole, a size of my hand hole in the plaster work around our house, and you're suddenly like, ah, okay, there's a problem here. But the problem wasn't with the drill. It was that I was using it for something it wasn't designed for. And when we think about generosity, I want us to get that none of us are designed to be selfish. None of us are designed to, be, to accumulate wealth and objects. That is a lie that we've actually believed for way too long. When God made Adam and Eve, he designed us them in his own likeness to be generous, to be loving, to be kind. He gave them a job to look after and care for the world around them, to nurture and to cultivate, not to store up and gather. Generosity is our natural state. Like there's just this lie that we believe that human beings are naturally selfish, and it's been told to us to feed consumerism, to feed greed, to give us excuses to indulge, but I don't buy it. I think the Bible teaches us that we are built to think of others before ourselves. When we give, when we share, when we live for others, we step into what we are designed to be, and in that space is an incredible amount of peace and joy. Living for ourselves leaves us bloated and uncomfortable, scared that we might lose things, anxious that we might not achieve all that we want to live and all we want for our lives, depressed that we have everything we want, but that we still find that we're not happy. It's a huge challenge to us to think about who we are and what we're designed for. But because God loves us and he wants us to live in the fullness of who he made us to be, God wants our generosity more than he wants our money. God is desperately committed to you and your relationship with him. Like, we don't think God sent his son to die on the cross just so that we'd give him all our money. You know, he is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need us to be generous. We are the ones who need to be generous. That's what God doesn't need us to be generous. We are the ones who need to be generous. God sent his son to draw us back to him, to restore us, to set us free from sin, to transform us. God wants us to be generous because that is where we'll be happiest. Generosity is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. It is the dream of a world with equality established on love. 
And this, this becomes more obvious as we look back at these verses. What Paul is asking in the verses we read. So he's traveling around Asia Minor, Greece and Rome, and he's asking all these Gentile churches to give to a Jewish church. Now, you might know Jews and Gentiles didn't get on at that time. Can you see how much it would undermine his message to ask them to give money for the Jerusalem church? Like I used to work up in Liverpool um, for a church on a state, and there was this always a bit of a rivalry with Manchester. It was just always the sort of competition. We were on the east side of Liverpool, so that was the nearest next city. There was that competition. Now, you could imagine if someone came from a church in Manchester and said, oh, I'm taking up a collection for the church over there. Like, all those prejudices, all those things, they challenge us, that generosity and things like that. It causes that sense of reluctance rather than excitement and joy. Um, now, one thing God never does in the Old Testament, or Jesus, or Paul in the New Testament, is lower the bar for what it means to be a follower. The Bible says there's no male or female, there's no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, all are one in Christ Jesus. So when Paul asked the Gentile believers to support the Jewish believers, he's challenging them to live out this truth that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And not just give reluctantly, but to give cheerfully, as if you were giving to family, to your friends, to things that you genuinely believe in. Now, Paul is looking for the transformation of the people in Corinth, the Corinthian church. He knows they're designed to be generous. So he gives them this challenge, this opportunity to live out their faith in the most difficult way. Because he knows that if they can get this, then they're stepping into everything God has for them. And there's that great line, for God loves a cheerful giver. He knows that generosity and joy are inexorably tied together, in the same way that our selfishness and greed only ever hurt us. Can you see how this, as well, how this generosity is not impacted by corruption in the world? As we said at the start, we often choose not to give because we worry how the charities might be corrupt or maybe homeless people won't spend the money where we think they will. But what I'm saying, and I'm not saying we shouldn't employ wisdom. You know, wisdom is something given to us by God. It's incredibly important. But when it comes to generosity, even if that money gets wasted, whatever that might look like in our understanding of waste, God rejoices because we've acted with faith. And in that moment, we've become more like Jesus. And frankly, this is the thing I just always feel. Cynicism will never make a difference in the world. But vulnerable generosity has a chance. When you look at the world at the moment, you think like, you know, revenge is never going to make a difference in the world, but forgiveness has a chance. These teachings of Jesus, you're like these, you know, it's not a, not a formula that makes the works. It's a moment where Christianity becomes ridiculous and difficult and challenging, but so beautiful all at the same time. Such a hope in the midst of a challenging world. So let's just recap. So we firstly, we become generous when we let the Spirit get us more excited about God's kingdom than our own kingdom. Secondly, we become generous when we realize we're built for generosity. And then the third thing I want to look at in this last verse is I want us to learn that we become generous when we realize we can trust God. So verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So I can honestly say with integrity that up to this point, I would talk about a road that I have in some extent traveled. But from here on out, we are in the wilderness. Okay? We are in the unknown. I am very much still learning how to live out this last verse. I find this incredibly challenging. So we see that we're built for generosity. <clears throat> we have kindness in our DNA. But ever since the fall, this has been corrupted by sin. We have all these things that get in the way. We have selfishness. We have fear. We have cynicism. We have greed. And so we either end up not giving it all or our motivations can become corrupted. 
We can give out of guilt. We can give out to make ourselves look good. We can give because of social pressure. But when we become followers of Christ, there is a spiritual transformation that takes place. Whether we see it or not, whether we believe it or not, God does something in our hearts. He begins to restore us back to who we are designed to be. He calls us back to generosity. But there is still a battle that goes on. Things that pull us back to the way we were before. I want to think for a moment about the things that stop us from being generous. It'll be different for different people. Things that rob us of the joy of generosity. And I would say the biggest one, I think, in our culture, the thing that probably hits us the hardest is often fear. Uh, we think, I don't want to give too much because what if I need it? The future is unknown. The future can be scary. What if I or my family need this money at some point? What happens if by doing this, my kids don't get all the opportunities that the people around them are getting? And I find it hugely challenging when I start to think like this because I said, I am, this, is not, this is the unknown. This is not a place where I think, oh, I've sorted this. I've got this. This is me going, oh, there's a challenge here, and I'm not yet there. And I'd say I've got that question of you know, how do we respond to that. I think I've, I've got two answers. I'm going to try two answers. You can go for the one you like, okay? All right, the first is this, okay? Jesus died on a cross. He lived a life of poverty. He missed out on many of the things that we hope for in our lives. Home ownership, kids, partners, international travel. His followers mostly ended up imprisoned or martyred. This is the faith that we are following, the things that we want to teach our children. And so my first answer is that we can be generous because even in poverty, we can know Jesus and live beautiful, fulfilled lives. Now, I wouldn't be preaching the Bible if I didn't give that answer, but I also want to hold that in tandem with my experience and the experience of the majority of Christians I know. Because although I want to learn that truth more and more, this sense of kind of selfless generosity, radical generosity, I also know that God is unbelievably gracious to us. He deals with us where we are now. When we find it hard to think, okay, how do I become a martyr? How do I become someone who lives the rest of my life in poverty to give completely to the poor? I think God also has other answers for us, and we can deal with this all together. So here's my second answer, and it's more of a story that I hope will help us understand who God is when it comes to generosity. Um, when I started to train as a vicar about a year ago, the diocese asks you to calculate your outgoings and your income, and they offer you a bursary to cover the cost. And I filled in the form, and as far as I'm aware, like we don't live that extravagantly, but when we got the... Um, Bursary, it was about 300 pounds lower than what we'd anticipated based on our outgoings. Now, I knew this was what I'd been called to do. I knew that God was leading me into this. And I don't think I really acted with a lot of faith. I think I just went into austerity mode. I was like, okay, we'll tighten our belts. We'll choose our favorite child, and that one gets to eat. Um, and we'll find a way through. Um, but one decision I did have to make was, what are we going to do about giving? Like, as you can guess, this is something that genuinely excites me. I, I think it's important. I think it's good for me as much as it is for the things I give to. Um, but so I wanted to act in a small way in line with that first principle. Like, how do I be generous even when it's really challenging and tough? Um, and so we decided to keep giving, even though it would mean making some sacrifices to how we live. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about poverty. I'm talking about... Um, I'm still talking within the wider context of a Western consumer culture, but it was a small step in the direction of trusting God. But the ridiculous thing is that even as we took this step of faith, with these minor sacrifices, trying to work out how can we find 300 pounds a month to cut, you know, for the same expenses, that same week we got a phone call from some friends who said, hey, we've been praying, and we'd like to give you 300 pounds a month to support you as you go through your training. And it just hits you in that moment, the grace of God, the generosity of God. 
And uh, like, you know, as I've told, I've told this story with other, some of the other ordinance people training, and there's quite a number of them who have had exactly the same experience. Now, I find that absolutely incredible. I find God's grace unbelievably amazing. And at the same time, I don't know how this makes sense in a world where there's such real poverty, around the world where people genuinely can't make ends meet. And so I, I struggle with that at the same time. So kind of don't hear me. This is just, oh, great, God always, you know, there's a challenge here. But I think there's something about the grace of God in it towards us. Like, we are called at one hand to sell everything we have and give to the poor. We are called to lose our life. We are called to take up our cross. And yet, in the same instant, God promises to bless us abundantly. There is no formula when it comes to generosity, to living our life as Christians, to giving ourselves to God. There's only faith in the goodness of God. Like, I can't promise that if you give generously that you won't someday go hungry. That's not how this works. But I can say that the kingdom of God is better than any kingdom we'll ever build. I can say that we are designed for generosity. I can say that we can trust God. And if we can get those three things, then I think one of the amazing things is that generosity naturally wells up inside us. We are set free from fear, from greed, from the power of money. Instead, we live with the joy of generosity as a people made in the image of God, of a God who so loved the world that he gave even his only son that we might not die but have eternal life. Um, if I get you to stand, I think we're just going to have some time to pray, to think about this and respond to it. Let's just take a moment of silence and just listen to God. Um, see if there's specific things he's speaking to you about around generosity, around giving, around your heart, around your relationship with him, around your fears. Open yourself up to him. Let him, let him speak to you. Okay, let's take a few moments of silence. I think it'd be good for us to respond with prayer. I think if there's anyone right now who's feeling like, ah, oh, it's particularly that idea of fear. I think the idea that there's fear that holds us back and you'd like that broken. You'd like that boldness. Um, I'd love to invite you to come up to the front. That's a fun thing to say. You're feeling fearful and then come to the front. But uh, I think even in that step of faith, there's something we're saying to God. Like, is, I want this dealt with okay and also at the same time if there's those things particularly that you uh when we talked about what would you like to see the change in the world if there's things that you are carrying that you feel a burden for that you'd love someone just to stand with you and pray into just it'd be great if you could come forward and we'll uh and we'll pray for you um yeah just take that moment now come forward if, if there's stuff you could do prayer. so if there's a sense of fear or if there's things that you would love god to, to work in and and to help with things and things to change in the world I'll just pray for us and then we'll continue to worship. Father God, thank you so much that you are generous to us, that we love because you first loved us and the level of generosity that you poured out on our lives is beyond our understanding. You gave your only son to die on a cross so that we might have life and life to the full. 
Lord, we want to live in that and we want to live in response to that. So please speak to us now. Um, teach us to be generous. Change our hearts so that we become more like you. Lord God, um, we want to be blessed and we want to be a blessing to this world. Lord God, I pray that for us as an entire church, Lord God, as a whole body of people.